This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. He quotes the verse from Isaiah that the act of tzedakah leads to peace and the service of tzedakah leads to quietness and, and surety forever. So, in order to understand how tzedakah leads to peace, so first, he explains what is the idea of peace, of harmony. How only Hashem, says, Osa Shalom Bim Ramav, only God is the one who can make peace and harmony, really create harmony. Because real peace is reconciling opposites. How do you reconcile opposites? Right is right and left is left. How do you bring together two opposites? So only Hashem, who's truly undefined, could bring together opposites. And that's the concept of, of beauty. Beauty is when you have two or more colors. If you have a solid color, you don't have beauty. Beauty is when you mingle and you mix two, two colors together. And the question is, it makes no sense. You can't give what you don't have. If you have one color and it's not beautiful, you have another color, it's not beautiful. How is it when you put them together and suddenly you get beauty? <laughs> how do you, how can you create something you don't have? If they don't have beauty, then by bringing them together, how do you have beauty? And the answer is that the colors, colors, beauty is an expression of something that's really undefined. It's beyond this color, that color, and that's why it, but it expresses itself in the blending of all these colors together. And that's why you find so dazzling. Because beauty is, it's something really otherworldly. It's not part of this world. You know, people spend millions of dollars for art. Not only for practical reasons, for business investment, just for the sake of beauty. Kings went to war over beauty. <laughs> bankrupting themselves and using all the treasures, treasured and stored by their ancestors over generations for beauty. Beauty touches us in a very deep place. When we see beauty, we just, it just, it, it touches our soul because beauty is really heavenly. In a certain sense, it's like, like the Torah describes the manna from heaven. Manna from heaven was unique. Manna from heaven, you can taste anything you wanted in that manna. Any taste you can imagine, you can find in the man. How could one single food contain with it every single taste possible? And the answer is because it's manna from heaven. It's heavenly bread. Even when it came in a, in a physical form, it remained heavenly bread. It's not the bread we get from the baker. It's heavenly bread. There was no waste. It, it, it was 100% no calories. It was 100% healthy. No side effects. It was gluten-free. It was gluten-free. It was sugar-free. It was, gluten -free. It was anything and any taste in the world you wanted. 
Not a lobster. <laughs> well, how would, how would a Jew know what lobster tastes like? So, <laughs> the, um, because it was, it remained heavenly bread. Even when it came in a physical form, it was a heavenly bread. It was an expression of something undefined. Something, and that's why something infinite and undefined, it can express itself, it can be any color, you, any, any taste you want. All the tastes are contained in it. It contains every single taste imaginable. Because it's inherently something that's beyond this world. It's a heavenly bread. It's not, a, a, it's not part of this world. Beauty is really not part of this world. It's something heavenly. You know, animals, there's no beauty. They don't appreciate beauty. I don't think most people would call animals beautiful. <laughs> because animals are one-dimensional. Angels are one-dimensional. It's only when you, bring, when you bring Hashem into the picture, when you introduce Hashem who's infinite and undefined, Hashem could bring the two angels together. The angel of kindness, of, of water, and the angel of fire. Michal and Gavriel. Only Hashem could bring, could make peace, could create harmony, could bring two opposites together because Hashem is infinite and undefined. So therefore Hashem contains opposites and blends and harmonizes opposites. So beauty is an expression of something godly, of something infinite, of something undefined. Even, you know, today everything is very scientific. Even the beauty within the face, you know, the science of beauty, is you really have the right side of the face and you have the left side of the face. And it's two different sides. If you split the face down the middle, you're going to get two different... Just look at the profile. And beauty is when the, it's perfectly harmony, the blend, and everything just blends harmoniously together. As it says in the Torah about the Rachel, and it says about Joseph. Yifas Toar, Yifas Mara, Torah describes it, were beautiful. Yifas Toar, everything was proportionate, exact, in the right proportion. And Yifas Mara, the color was perfect. So they were, they were beautiful, as the Torah describes how beautiful Joseph was and, 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 and Rachel. So beauty is something that comes, it's a heavenly thing. Especially by Jews, the Hebrew word for face is called panim. Panim comes from the word pnimiyut. Because the whole inside is written over on your face. Physical beauty is a reflection of inner beauty, of a spiritual beauty. So the idea of peace, of harmony, of beauty, of reconciling opposites, it's something divine, it's something godly. And how do we bring beauty and peace into this world? Through the act of tzedakah. Because tzedakah reconciles also opposites. The 1% versus the 99%. The two extremes. So how do you overcome jealousy and how do you overcome the divide when the rich person helps the poor person and cares about the poor person? and reaches out to the poor person and, and with sensitivity and is involved, that creates tremendous goodwill and peace and harmony between opposites. So the act of tzedakah creates peace. That is the arousal from below that evokes from Hashem, evokes a response. When we do the act of tzedakah, Hashem reveals himself. When Hashem is revealed, he creates, generates peace, harmony. And, and now he's going to discuss that there is another way 
that when a person gives tzedakah, not only does he create peace and generates this illumination of Hashem's infinite light, but he also creates harmony within his own soul. Because the ultimate conflict is within ourselves. It's not the East versus the West. The ultimate conflict is within ourselves. We have good, and we have the opposite within us. We have the coarse, crass, ego, materialistic self, and then we have our soul, which is spiritual, which yearns to go upwards. And they're in constant clash, and constant conflict. We're pulled in one direction, we're pulled in another direction. So real peace, genuine peace begins from within. The name peace is God's name. It's a divine attribute. So the, the ultimate goal, and this is our ultimate goal, this is what a Jew strives for. When two Jews meet, how do they greet each other? Shalom Aleichem. That's the greatest wish. And the other Jew responds, Aleichem Shalom. Why doesn't the other Jew respond, Shalom Aleichem? As Why all, not? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. You, know, any, you say hello, how do you respond hello? You say salam, you say salam. A Jew says shalom aleichem, he should respond shalom aleichem. But you say shalom aleichem, the Jew has to say the exact opposite. Aleichem shalom. I can't just agree with you. That's, that's being Jewish. But everyone wishes each other shalom. It's the ultimate greeting, it's the ultimate blessing, it's the ultimate wish. It's the last blessing, the concluding blessing is shalom. The, concluding, the conclusion of the priestly blessing ends with shalom, peace. It's the last blessing of the Shemon Esri. It's the last blessings of the Shema. But p- real peace is something that comes from within. It's something that... It's divine. And only a person who's at peace, who can create peace and harmony within himself, only such a person could be at peace with those around them. If we are not at peace with ourselves, and we're so conflicted and egotistical and arrogant and delusional, and uh, you, can't, you can't have peace. It's not possible. Peace is not something external. Peace is not something superficial. Peace, by its very definition, is divine, is godly. So you have to, we have to achieve some inner peace. If we don't achieve any inner peace, there's no way we can bring peace to the world around us. You can't bring tikkun olam if you yourself are conflicted and you yourself are, are fragmented and torn all over the place. And so real peace really begins with the person himself. Inner peace. Now, there's only one way to make peace between the godly soul and the animal soul, the ego, the natural soul. And that is for the godly soul to win. If the animal soul wins and we succumb to our basic natures, our worst natures, our worst selves, we take the easy way out, we follow the force of gravity, we're pulled downwards, we take the path of least resistance, then our godly soul can never be happy. 
Our godly soul can never make peace with that, with, with that reality. Godly soul will rebel. It'll go into hiding. It'll rebel. It'll, it'll, it'll go into guerrilla warfare. But the godly soul could never surrender and make peace living that type of life. It's not possible. But the reverse is possible. The animal soul, the ego, could make peace and live a godly life. Because if you follow your godly soul, Imagine that you follow your godly soul. Even if you have to force yourself to follow the godly soul. And you follow the Torah. And you live a Jewish life. And you act and think and speak like a Jew. The animal soul could learn to live with it. It's not so terrible. Making kiddush Friday night, having a meal, sitting with your family. I, you know, I can think of worse things. It's not bad. It's pretty nice. Just celebrating the holidays, leaving, leading a wholesome lifestyle leading a menschliche life, a life without regrets. When you, no one ever regrets doing the right thing. It may be difficult, you have to sacrifice, you have to push yourself. But at the end of the day, it's like jumping into cold water. First you yell and scream, and, at the end, and after a while you get used to it and you start, first you say, ah, oi, and then you say, ah, I'm a chaya. But when you sin, it's the exact opposite. First you say, ah, it's great, it's wonderful, it's so much fun. And then they say, oi, <laughs> it's terrible, I regret it, it's horrible. It's like eating junk food, it tastes good, but the moment you finish eating, oi, 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 your stomach hurts, and you regret it, and what have I done? I'm just killing myself and self-destructing, nothing good will come out of this. I couldn't help myself, but you don't enjoy it. And imagine if you discipline yourself to eat wholesome and to eat good, you feel like a million dollars, you feel energized, you feel energetic, you feel alive, vibrant. The animal soul could make peace with the godly soul. The godly soul can never make peace with the animal. On the ultimate level, on the highest level, the animal soul could even learn to enjoy it. By the mystic, the Jew goes a little deeper, you can even train your animal soul to really enjoy godly things and to enjoy holy things and to enjoy being selfless and good and kind. And but even if not, even if you have to force yourself and discipline yourself, the animal soul may go kicking and screaming, but at the end of the day, he's better off. Because what's the animal soul looking for in life? The animal soul wants life, energy, vitality, passion. There's only one address. There's only one place you're going to find that. And that's the source of life. Hashem. If you're connected to the source of life, you're going to find life and energy and joy and vitality. If you're disconnected and unplugged, what are you going to find? Nothing. A dead end. There's nothing there. It's junk food. It's junk lifestyle. It's, 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 I'm eating a shell. I'm chewing in a shell. There's nothing there uh, to, to nourish me. Appeal. There's nothing there. To, there's nothing there. So, really, the animal soul has to let the godly soul lead, <laughs> lead, lead the way. And that's when the animal soul will find what it's looking for. Now, the animal doesn't know it. An animal, by nature, doesn't want to be led. You ever ride a horse? If it's up to the horse, the horse will just stop and sit and eat the grass on the side of the road. The horse is not going anywhere. You gotta kick the horse, you gotta whip the horse and get the horse going. And then the horse is happy. A horse has to be reined in. A horse has to be shown the way. You gotta, you gotta take the bull by the horn and show the way. But only then will the horse find what it's looking for. <laughs> you know, it's like the story with the... Uh, this, the most popular store in the city, in the community, was having this once in a lifetime, this huge sale. You know, Thanksgiving sale, and 
people were camping out around the block, and they they, they slept slept or slept over. Everyone <laughs> wanted to be the first ones to get the best the best uh, items. The store is supposed to open at eight thirty. By eight o'clock, there's lines around the block, and this uh, older, small little yiddle Jew <laughs> walks up to the front of the line. And everyone has been camping out and waiting all night, and here he just walks right to the front. Everyone starts yelling at him and screaming at him, and they, they, they say, go up to the back of the line. He comes a second time. This time he gets a punch right in the face, and he gets kicked and yelled at and screamed at, go, and they send, they, they send him flying all the way to the back of the line. Picks himself up. He turns to the person all the way at the end of the line. He says, you know, if they do this one more time, I'm not going to open the store. <laughs> so here, the godly soul, I mean, the animal soul is busy punching the godly soul. Constantly punching it, fighting it, kicking, screaming. It's, it's not letting it do what it wants to do. It wants to learn Torah, it wants to do a mitzvah, it wants to enact its stuck, it wants to tell the truth, it wants to be honest, it wants to be sincere, and keeps on punching it. And the godly soul says, hey, listen, you... I have the keys to the store. I have what you're looking for. You're not going to find it anywhere else. What you're looking for is life, passion, energy, excitement. You're only going to find that if you let me lead, if you let me open the store. I'm the boss. So the only way to make peace, the only way to reconcile this conflict is when the godly soul is established as the boss. You have to let the godly soul lead the way. Then the animal soul can make peace. So this is the ultimate peace. This is where all peace begins. You want to have peace in families, you want to have peace in business, you want to have peace amongst countries, you want to have peace. It's a cheap word today. Today we have peace processes, <laughs> which go on forever and accomplish nothing and achieve nothing, and it's all bluff and it's all for the camera and it's, 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 it's completely counterproductive and it's actually very hurtful and harmful and, and all based on lies. The only way to have peace is, peace is Hashem's name, Shalom. Peace is godly. Peace is divine. Peace is genuine. Peace is authentic. Peace is tapping into and touching Hashem's infinite, undefined self. If Hashem is not part of the picture, there'll never be peace. And the way, how do we, the ultimate expression of that peace is, it begins within ourselves. If we are able to find peace within our own soul, because if we have a split personality and we are disconnected and we live a lifestyle and then it eats us up inside and it, it kills us inside and you know, we, we live a life that's full of regret and full of... then it's, it's, that's not a Jewish lifestyle. That's not a lifestyle. It's not a life. It's not a life. It's not, there's no peace. If there's no peace, there's nothing, the Talmud says. If there's peace, there's everything. Because peace comes from within. You know, all the money in the world can't buy love. All the money in the world can't buy joy. And all the money in the world can't buy peace. You can have the cheap imitation. You can have, you know, eroticism. That's not love. That doesn't do anything. You can have fun, but that's not joy. You can have fame, but that's not honor. All the money in the world can't buy real honor. Real kavod. And you can't have peace. You can have a piece of paper, but you can't have real peace. <laughs> real, genuine peace. Shalom is real. You have to be for real. You can't live like an animal and then expect to have peace. It doesn't work that way. 
when you have reconciled your own inner struggles and you have the discipline and you're able to find, which can only come when you find Hashem, then you're able to project that peace to your family, to your friends, to your business partners, to your community, and to the world around you. It's not anything external. It's all internal. And this is Hashem's name. Hashem's name is Shalom. So he says that when a person, when a person gives tzedakah and he creates peace, he generates peace between the rich person and the poor person, he evokes a tremendous response from Hashem, an illumination of Hashem's infinite and, def- and undefined self, which leads to a peace above in the angelic world, in the upper worlds, in the higher levels of consciousness, in the spiritual realms. But ultimately it leads to peace in this world and leads to peace for the person who's giving stuck. That he achieves an inner peace. The effect of giving tzedakah is that it evokes a revelation of Hashem which leads to an inner peace. Because whenever there's an intense revelation of godliness, then the negativity within us is completely is removed, effortlessly. Because wherever there's light, there's no room for darkness. So whenever there's an intense revelation of godliness, we all know this from our own personal experience. Whenever we feel inspired, we feel uplifted, we feel inspired, we feel connected, we feel something godly, we feel a little egoless, we feel a little less self-centered and egotistical, a little less arrogant, then the negativity, there's no room for the negativity. Then I'm not even tempted to do something negative. I wanted, all I want to do is I'm attracted to godliness and wholesomeness and truth and genuineness and sincerity and good things and mitzvot and Torah. It's when there's no illumination, that's when I have a struggle. I have a tr- terrible struggle. But where there's godly illumination, the negativity is, is completely, completely... No, it's no longer a struggle. So he says, when a person gives tzedakah, you generate, you evoke a response, because God is interactive, God responds to our actions and our behavior. Whatever we input, that's what we get back. So if we input into our lives, into this world, tzedakah, Hashem responds in kind, and Hashem reveals Himself, and which generates the ultimate peace and harmony, inner peace and harmony for ourselves. That we, we don't have to struggle. When we sense that godly illumination, suddenly we have that clarity. Everything becomes crystal clear. When everything is crystal clear, the negativity is just completely subdued on its own. And he says, just like when we study Torah, it also has the same effect. Torah is light. When you study Torah, it's almost magical. Torah is divine. It's not like studying math, science, physics. Torah is godly. When you study Torah, any part of the Torah, it, it, it brings down, it draws down a godly light which illuminates our soul. And when you're immersed in Torah, the ego, the arrogance, the negativity is completely overwhelmed. There's no room for it. You don't have to fight. You don't have to struggle. 
You're like bathed in light. You're illuminated. You're filled with light. You're filled with Hashem's light. When you're filled with Hashem's light, when your mind is completely engaged in studying Torah, total immersion in studying Torah, then there's no room for any darkness. There's no room for any, any negativity. And you don't even have to struggle. Then the good triumphs without even... The evil just surrenders without even putting up a fight. That's the power of Torah. And he says, so too, that's also the power of, of tzedakah. Of giving tzedakah in a certain way. Of giving tzedakah also draws down the same, has the same effect on the person. When you give tzedakah, it draws down a godly light, which illuminates the soul and makes the struggle so much easier. So much smoother. You don't even have to struggle. So we have a way out of the struggle. Give tzedakah and studying Torah. So he's mentioned, he's going to mention the studying of Torah, but in this letter he's focusing on tzedakah. That tzedakah has the same effect as studying of Torah. It is well known that our sages of blessed memory say of a person who engages in the study of Torah for his own sake, that he makes peace within the heavenly retinue and within the terrestrial retinue. The heavenly retinue comprises the above-mentioned princes and attributes. For these are the supernal in the world of Berea, as stated in the sacred Zohar. Pamalya Shomaila, retinue, but actually the root of the word Pamalya is actually familia, as in family. That's a, a word that we find many languages, Yiddish, and, and, and going back even earlier, familia, family. So it's like, so to speak, Hashem's family, meaning the world of angels, angels, Hashem's, so to speak, his family, and the Pamalia Shalmata, his, his group or his family here below, which is referring to the Jewish people. So when a person studies Torah for its own sake, not for any personal, personal gain, but for the sake of studying Torah because the Torah is godly, because the Torah is God's mind, and I want to connect with Hashem. And by studying Torah, I connect with Hashem. So when you study Torah for its own sake, then it also has that effect. It creates peace and harmony. It brings down Hashem's illumination that creates peace and harmony amongst the angels above and below here on earth for us here on earth, for the person who's studying Torah, to bring peace between the godly soul and the animal soul, resolve that conflict. As we discussed the other week, Torah is, Torah is the whole Torah, the theme of Torah is peace. The Torah was given to bring peace to this world, to bring peace between heaven and earth, to bring peace between material and spiritual, body and soul, right and left. Torah is, reconciles opposites. That's why the Torah is neither right, the Torah is neither left. The Torah tells, teaches us to be kind, but at the same time the Torah teaches us to be tough. How could the same person be one moment the Torah teaches you to be the kindest person in the world, and the same Torah tells you a moment later become tough as nails and defend your life and take a life if you have to and, and be a ferocious warrior. How could the same person be the most gentle, the kindest, most generous person like Avraham? Avraham Avinu, Abraham. 
the kindest, gentlest person that ever lived. And at the same time, when his nephew was kidnapped, he became a ferocious warrior. And he single-handedly, with 18 people, or 30, 318 people, went to war against the four mightiest kings on earth. This kind, gentle Abraham who couldn't hurt a fly suddenly became tough as nails, ferocious, a warrior. Because this is what Torah is about. That's why Torah is godly. Torah is divine. If you're conservative or liberal, you're consistent. A conservative is always conservative. A liberal is always liberal. A person who's nice is always nice and is pacifist. And even when it's not appropriate to be nice, your wife is in danger, your children are in danger, but you're never a pacifist. You, 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 you can't stand up to anyone. You can't be assertive and you can't do anything. On the other hand, the person who's always tough is always tough, even when it's not appropriate. Maybe you need a hug, you need a little, a little gentleness, a little kindness, a little honey, a little sweetness. But that's how animals are. Animals are one-dimensional. The animals who are kind, they're always kind. The animals who are cruel, they're always cruel. But the Torah teaches us to be harmonious, to be balanced. To live with the perfect balance. Don't be too, don't go to one extreme, don't go to the other extreme. You have to have a perfect harmony. This is only possible when you're connected to Hashem. Only God is perfect. Because God is undefined and infinite. And therefore, He can contain opposites. So there's a mitzvah in the Torah to emulate Hashem. There's a mitzvah in the Torah also that our emotions also have to be balanced. Can't be too much. Love to an extreme becomes obsession. becomes obsession, it becomes cruelty, it becomes... You can suffocate someone with love. You have to know when to let go. Toughness to an extreme is, is terrible. You know, you can, you can, you're so tough, there's no, there's no love, there's no warmth, there's no gentleness, there's no kindness. It's tough, you need toughness sometimes, but, but you know, predominantly you have to be kind and gentle. There's a time that calls for tough love, but there has to be a balance. That's why the human being is, we have a right hand, we have a left hand, we have a center. We are the only creature in the universe that has that capacity to create that balance, to have that healthy balance. So this is what Torah is. Torah teaches us. You know, everything that's human is one dimension. Take, for example, the different political movements, communism. So communism highlights the community at the expense of the individual. Okay, there's a kernel of truth, there is a concept of community, and you have to, the community is very important. And capitalism highlights the individual, but to an extreme, at the expense of the community. So who's right and who's wrong? The answer is everyone has a little of the truth, but it's not Torah, because they don't have the whole truth. It's only in Torah that you have the perfect system. Torah is perfect. Torah is godly. Torah is Hashem. So you have the perfect system where you have the community, and you have the individual, and you don't have to sacrifice one for the sake of the other. On the contrary, they completely blend and work harmoniously, and each one enhances the other. The individual enhances the community, and the community enhances the individual, and the, the community has to safeguard the, the individual, and the individual has to be there for the community. The Torah is a perfect system because it's a godly system, it's a divine system. So when a person studies Torah for its own sake, and he studies Torah Lishma, the power of Torah is, it has the ability to draw down this infinite light, to draw down Hashem's infinite, undefined self, and therefore it can create peace. It can bring peace to the heavens, to the angels, who are on opposite sides, the uh, camp of Michal, which is love, the camp of Gabriel, which is fire, which is the opposite. Hashem reconciles the two, just like by the plague of the, uh, the hail. 
says the hail contained the fire. Hashem reconciled the fire and the ice together, and they worked together, harmonious. It's a miracle. Only Hashem can create peace, real peace. And he was able to create that peace and harmony, and also create peace and harmony here below, within the person who's studying the Torah, in this world. And that's the ultimate challenge. The ultimate challenge is to create peace in this world. Because this world, there's so much confusion. As a result of Adam's sin, the good and evil became completely mixed and intermingled. Before Adam sinned, it was clarity. Good was good and evil was evil. And the two would not meet. As a result of Adam's sin, everything became mixed together. Everything became confused. You can't find good without evil, and you can't find evil without good. Firstly, we have evil, good and evil together. In heaven, hell is hell, and paradise is paradise. The two are two different universes. There's no connection. In this world, you can have a house of prayer in the same block as, as other houses. In the same block. It gets even more confusing than that. You, you have, within the same person, we have good traits, good characteristic traits, and we have negative characteristic traits within the same person. But it gets even more confusing. Within the same act, you have good qualities, good, good aspects of the act. I'm giving tzedakah. It's wonderful. But I want my name. I want to publicize it. I want the whole world to know. So the same act is mixed with good and evil. It's all about ego, arrogance, self-promotion, but on the other hand, I'm doing something good. Within the same person, you can have a person who externally is very nice and very suave and makes a very good impression, but in his inner heart, he's very cruel. His inner heart is very selfish, self-centered, and could, really couldn't care less about the other person. But he's very charming. He knows how to put on the charm, and he meets you once, and you think you're already your best friend, and really he couldn't care less about you, he doesn't even remember your name, he couldn't care. The whole thing was an act. So people just put on the charm, they're very smart and very you know, savvy in that way, politicians. And, but they couldn't care less. You, you, they just use you, they just use people, that's all they are, they're users, abusers and users but they'll put on a very good front. And you may mistake him for your best friend, but in the moment of truth, he's not thinking about you, he couldn't care less about you. You have another person, vice versa. On the external, he can be very gruff, but inside, he can have a heart of gold. Push comes to shove, he'll be there for you. He cares about you. So who's my friend who's not my friend? What appears to be my friend is really not my friend. What appears to be my enemy is really my friend. And this whole world is so confusing. Nothing is the way it appears to be. Nothing is so simple. Nothing is black and white. Every good has a kernel of, of evil in it. The evil has a kernel. You can, you can have something poisonous. But if you use that poison, I can use that poison as medicine, as an antidote. If you use poison for vaccines, the poison itself could become the source of something good. If I eat too much of something good, <laughs> it'll kill me also. So nothing is clear. 
the whole world, as a result of Adam's sin, the whole world became tamish. The whole world became confused and mixed up and unclear. And what's the mission of man? Our mission is to separate the good from the evil, to clarify. That's our mission. That's what we're busy all our lives. Separating, sifting. We are in the sifting business. We are here to sift through, to separate the bad from the good. To take out the good and reject the bad. To clarify. That's why we have a Torah. That's what our life mission is. So this is what peace is. This is the ultimate idea of peace. To bring peace into this world is when we're able to discard the negative and extract all the good that there is. To find the good, and sometimes you find it in the most unlikely places, but to find the good, extract the good, and discard the negative. Separate the kernel from the shaft, shaft from the wheat. And that's what creates peace. As long as everything is mixed together, you know, the first process of, uh, you know, us city people, we have no clue, but the first process of, of creating bread, you know, first you have to plant, you have to plow the field, and you have to plant, and you have to reap the harvest, and then you have to thresh. Because before you thresh, everything is together. The shaft, the wheat, it's all, it's all together. I don't know what's the shaft and what's the wheat, what's the important part and what's the superficial part. When you start threshing, so step number one, okay, now I've broken apart, I've separated it. Now I haven't separated it yet, but I've broken it apart. Now the kernel emerges and I know the shaft is there to be separated. The shaft is superficial, it's external, it's secondary. It's time to separate the shaft and to extract the kernel. That's the beginning of the process. Then you have to, you throw it up in the air, and the wind blows away the shaft, and the kernels fall to the ground. Then I have to separate the dirt and the pebbles from the kernel, and then I, I, so I have the kernel. Then I grind the kernels, and then I have to sift the, the shell of the, of the kernel from the inside of the kernel to get the, uh, the wheat or the whole wheat. It, it's a whole process. That's the process of life. That's the story of our life. God gave us, everything is mixed together. Everything is one big mishmash, one big kasha. Everything is all together. I can't tell what's the ends and what's the means and what's important and what's primary and what's secondary, what's good and what's evil. And that's our process. We have to separate, to get to the kernel, to take out the good, and to discard and sift through and, and get rid of the, the baggage, get rid of the external, the superficial, and the negative. So, and that's how you create peace. That's inner peace. So that's the ultimate challenge, to find peace in this world. When we're so conflicted and so confused, and everything is so mixed up together, as long as everything is mixed together, you can't have peace. Where there's no clarity, there's no peace. So when a person studies Torah, and he studies Torah for its own sake, to connect with Hashem, then the divine light of the Torah will inspire peace in the upper realms, and that divine revelation of the light of the Torah will also enable the person to create peace within himself in his own struggles between good and evil. So the difference is, there's a huge difference. When you're making peace in heaven, both sides of the equation are holy. 
the angel Michael was compared to water. The angel Gabriel in this camp was compared to fire, even though they're opposites. One is love and one is strength and awe and fear, but they're both holy angels. So you have to bring peace and you have to reconcile them. You have to bring them together. As in the hail, the fire and the ice will go, go hand in hand and enhance each other. When you're trying to bring peace in this world, in the physical world, in the lowest of all the worlds, you don't make peace by making peace with evil. <laughs> that seems to be our president's idea of peace. Make peace and live with and compromise and accommodate evil. They're there, so we have to deal with them. Can't pretend they're not there, we can't ignore them. That's not peace. Peace is not making peace with the lowest common denominator, making peace with evil, making peace with negativity. These murderers have a point of view, Hamas has a point of view. That's not peace. You can't make peace with evil. In order to have peace with evil, evil has to be vanquished. Evil has to be discarded. Evil has to be, you have to sift through and throw away the evil. You have to discard the evil. You have to reject the evil. You have to find evil abhorrent. You have to find, you have to be repulsed by evil. You have to spit at evil. Not fit for human company. Not to have peace and let's reconcile and make peace. Shalom, you can have peace, but you're not going to have shalom. Shalom is divine, shalom is genuine, shalom is godly. And the only way you're going to have genuine peace is when you're dealing with evil is evil has to be vanquished and discarded. So when you're able to extract the evil and the goodness triumphs and the goodness prevails and the goodness is predominant and they win and evil loses, then you have peace. Not by making peace with the Hitlers of the world. So without studying this letter in the Tanya, without really understanding where peace comes from, I think anyone who's in the business of peacemaking, all the diplomats, all the peacemakers, should really, as a requirement, before they go out, into the, they should be required to study the 12th letter of Tanya, to understand what real peace is what real harmony is. Now, this is beautiful. This is Hashem's name. This is miraculous, divine, godly, genuine. And otherwise we make a mockery of the whole concept. It becomes meaningless, cheap, empty. Peace touches us deeply inside. When you see peace, it moves you. It touches you. When you see people who are close, who are fighting, and then they genuinely reconcile. It's genuine, it's heartfelt. It's, there's something beautiful about it, something godly, there's something otherworldly, there's something holy about that. Peace. But if it's just words and meaningless photo ops and making peace with things that you can't make peace with, living with, things that we can't live with, we can't accept. 
accommodating lifestyles and things that are simply unaccommodable and simply not acceptable, that's not peace. That's, that leads to conflict. That exacerbates the conflict. Because the godly soul will never agree. The godly soul can never make peace. In Nazi Germany, it was very popular to murder. But it doesn't make it right. There's certain things that we don't control. It's not a question of votes. It's not a question of majority, of popularity. Morality is not put up to vote. It's not a democratic thing. It's not a democratic vote. People decide what is moral. We don't play God. Only Hashem decides what is moral and what is not moral, what is right and what is wrong. That's the Torah, the Ten Commandments. No one ever came up with a new moral. Only Hashem decides. And no matter how popular it becomes, no matter how much propaganda you propagandize it, you can't make peace with something that's not acceptable. It's simply wrong. It's simply not acceptable. And trying to make peace with it and trying to accommodate something that can't be accommodated will only exacerbate the conflict. So he says when a Jew connects to Torah and you study Torah and you're in touch with the divine aspect of Torah. I'm studying Torah because it's godly, it's divine, which evokes the divine light and Hashem's infinite, undivine light. This creates peace in the whole universe, in the heavenly worlds, in the heavenly realms, in the, amongst the angels, and it also creates peace in our own universe, in our own microcosm, miniature world, which is our own personal struggles, that we're able to sift and separate the bad from the good. It gives us the strength to be able to make peace in this world. How do we make peace in this world? When the goodness within us and the godliness within us leads the way, triumphs, and is in charge. That's the only way to make peace. So that's part of the confusion. That's part of the evil of this world, the confusion of this world. That we're so confused, we don't even know what peace means anymore. And especially this lowly world, which since the sin of Adam is mingled, of good and evil. As a result of Adam's sin, there is no good in this world without evil, and no evil without good. And the evil rules over the good. As it is written, while man rules over man, for example, the man of wickedness, representing the forces of Klipa, rules over the man of holiness, and harms him too. As the verse concludes, it is also written, a nation will overpower nation, as the balance of power fluctuates between the forces of good and the forces of evil. God gave the evil people, he gave them the, the power to be on top, as temporarily. Until Mashiach comes, evil people get away with evil, and get away with murder. They are on top, and they triumph, and they succeed. Versus the righteous people, righteous people suffer. Um, and it's a constant struggle. Back and forth, there are times, there are moments when goodness triumphs. There are shining moments in history when good people triumph, goodness triumph. And then you have when the opposite happens. It's a constant seesaw, it's back and forth, constantly back and forth. Sometimes the good wins, sometimes the evil wins. And it's a wrestling match, it's an ongoing wrestling match. There are generations that were very righteous. If you read the Tanakh, Generations that were very righteous and generations that fell to the abyss, morally and ethically and spiritually. So it's a constant seesaw. That's the story of life. And what's true in the, in the global scale is also true on a personal level. 
This is empirically evident through terrestrial man who is called the microcosm. For sometimes the good within him prevails and sometimes the reverse, heaven forbid. We all know, we can all speak for ourselves at times when the good angel within us is, is on top and we're flying high and we're doing good and we're and there are times when we succumb, when we feel weak, and, and the negative within us prevails. And we're not proud of ourselves. We all have our skeletons in our closet. And, so, and it's a constant struggle, as long as we're struggling. <laughs> as long as we don't give up the struggle. It's okay to struggle. That's life. That's the story of life. But you're never allowed to give up. You're never allowed to give up the struggle. You can't surrender. Throw in, throw in the white, uh, raise the flag and... Throw in, throw in the towel. We don't give up. We always hope that we will win. We will be strong enough. And we'll be able to do the right thing. We have weakness, we have weakness. The problem is, is when a person sins once, he feels guilty. When he sins twice, he doesn't feel so guilty. And when he sins three times, he turns it into a mitzvah. <laughs> it, becomes, it becomes a cause. They start parading in the streets already. It becomes a pri- pride. You know, a person is weak, human weakness. I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed. Okay, listen, what can I do? I'm human. I'm I'm proud of it. So as long as a person is struggling, then it's back and forth. You constantly struggle. I'm not giving up. It comes a holiday, it comes a this. I try to strengthen myself. I try to commit. I try to study more Torah, give myself more strength. And sometimes I'm on top and sometimes I lose. Sometimes I carry out my good resolutions and sometimes I'm a little lagging. But as long as we're in the ring, as long as we're alive, as long as we're struggling, that's the nature of this world, that's the nature of life. Therefore, there will be no peace in the world until the ultimate time, literally the time of the end, when evil will cease to exist. Until Mashiach comes, there's no peace. There won't be a moment's peace. Even, even when the good triumphs, we should never fall into the danger of believing that's what we learned in the beginning of the Tanya, the first part of the Tanya. Never fall the danger of believing, I'm done, I've arrived. That's a very dangerous feeling, because sometimes things go well, and you're flying high, and you say, oh, I'm a tzaddik, no more struggle, everything is beautiful, everything is so easy, so graceful. The moment you think that, <laughs> next moment, it's all over. You, have to, you can't lose your guard for a moment. You, you can lose your life, you can't. You can't, you have to remember it's just t- temporary, it's a constant struggle. Today I'm on top, tomorrow I can be all the way on the bottom. And when you're on the bottom, don't become depressed and demoralized and say it's hopeless, what's the point? No, no, now on the bottom, tomorrow you can be on the top. Don't give up. Don't be demoralized and don't be, don't get, don't let it get to your head. Don't let your success get to your head and don't, and don't let your failure uh, get to you either. How does this relate to like a Breslev mentality where everything is predestined from Hashem and what's bad supposed to happen to you and what's good supposed to happen to you? That it's all preordained, you're supposed to learn from it as a matter, as, as then just saying you're supposed to take the good out of it. Just the good out of it. Are you supposed to take, are you supposed to take lessons out of evil things that happen to you as well? Or is it two different philosophies? Well, um, first thing I can't I can't speak for Breslov. I'm not familiar with that, with that teaching of Breslov. But the, uh, um, here he's talking more about our moral struggles, our own personal moral struggles. He's not talking about uh, bad things that happen to us. 
that we actually discussed in letter number 11, the letter before this. And thank God you can actually find it in LessonsInTanya.com, the whole letter online. It's probably one of the most powerful letters of the 32 letters of the Alter Rebbe. It discusses how you deal with pain and suffering, physical pain and suffering, what ha that happened. How do you deal with that? And Alter Rebbe discusses it in the most profound way and at great length. So that, that's, that was the subject of the last letter, Person, pain, personal negative things that happened to us, bad things that happened to us, bad things that happened to good people. Here he's discussing a whole different thing. He's talking about the struggle, the struggles, the moral struggles that we have. It's, it's so difficult to do the right thing and we're so tempted not to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. We have to constantly struggle and fight and there's no respite, there's no peace, there's no, there's no end to the struggle. It's a constant struggle until Mashiach comes. Mashiach comes, then we'll be free of the struggle. Why will we be free of the struggle when Mashiach comes? Because, as he's going to explain, there'll be such a revelation of godliness. Godliness will be so tangible, so palpable. You'll see it. It'll be so self-evident. You won't even be tempted to do anything wrong. When you have clarity, and we have moments of clarity, you're not even tempted to do anything you know, when you can feel the force of the desire to live and be healthy, then I'm, I'm not even tempted to eat junk food or do something that's going to self-destruct. I want to live. I want to be healthy. The problem is when we don't have that clarity, we don't feel the strength of that the real desire that we have. So things get a little vague and fuzzy, and, but it's so tempting and it's so juicy and it's right in front of me. And, you know, I don't want to think about consequences. And I don't want to think about, is this what I really want? Is this good for me? Is this... It's a dead end. What's it going to do for me? Right now, I just want to, I just want to enjoy myself this moment. I don't want to think the next moment. So that's, that's the struggle. That's the coming to you weakness. It's the coming to human nature. That's what he's discussing here. He's discussing here moral struggles, moral handicaps, moral uh, um, difficulties. That good and evil. The good and evil within us. The two, the two pulls that we have within us to lead a wholesome life, a godly life, a Jewish life, and to lead the opposite. So uh, I think it's a whole, whole, whole different discussion. In the good shall be refined from you, in order to cleave to its root and source, the divine source of life. At that time, all evildoers shall be scattered, and the spirit of impurity shall pass from the earth, when the element of the good which sustains it will be extracted from its people. Evil will then cease to exist a matter as, a, as a matter of course, for its entire existence is dependent on the good found Everything in this world has to have a godly spark in order for it to exist. Nothing could exist on its own. So every evil has to have a little truth to it. Once evil becomes completely evil, it self-destructs. Look at Hitler. Thousand year, thousand year uh, rife. Fourteen years. Fourteen. Even less. 30, even less. He came to power in 33 and 45. He was dead. Over. Finished. Forever. Fascism destroyed. Because once evil, that's the story of this week's Torah portion, the story of the generation of the flood. It wasn't so much a punishment, it was a consequence. Once the world became so evil, so corrupt, so decadent, that it lost any spark of goodness, any connection to anything the humility, the genuineness, the Hashem, the anything greater than ourselves, then the world it can't survive. The world has nothing to, no leg to stand on. The world is, holding, is only held up by, by, by this godly spark. 
So once evil becomes completely evil, it says, how does evil self-destruct? It says, when evil is satisfied, ultimately leads to its destruction. Because evil is only, it's the promise, it's the dream. You know, when communism first started, it was the dream, the promise, the rosy. People were so captivated and captured by the... But once it was realized, the dream was realized, it quickly turned into a nightmare and self-destructed because it was completely false. It's only in the promise, you know, there's a hope and there's a promise and there's some good aspects. It sounds so good and it sounds so romantic and it sounds so wonderful and it sounds so good. But then in real life, once it's realized, and the analogy is like the bloodsucker. The, the, the bloodsucker, it has to suck your blood. It has no life of its own. What happens when it sucks your blood? It dies. Once it's satisfied, it's dead. Once it satisfies its lust, it's over. It's finished. There's nothing left. There's nothing there. It has no life of its own. So evil, ultimately, will be completely... You know, we've tried all the isms, we've tried everything, and we see where it leads. Complete dead end, complete chaos. We see the results today, complete and utter chaos. It's a dead end. And once these dreams are realized, it turns into nothingness, because there's nothing there. There's no, there's no substance, no reality. He says when Mashiach will come, once the good will be separated, and the good will connect to its source, and evil, evil will have nothing to sustain it. So evil, that will be the end of evil. And then we won't even be tempted to do anything wrong. It will be so self-evident, so clear, so obvious. What is good. But until that time, and obviously we haven't arrived yet. <laughs> we all know our own personal struggles as of this moment. So Mashiach has not come yet. Um, but the moment that Mashiach comes, that will be the moment when evil will completely pass from the earth. There will no longer be any evil because the good will be completely separate from the evil. And once the good is completely separate from the evil, once we've sifted out and extracted all the good, the evil will be completely discarded. And how will this come about? This refinement itself of the good from the evil will also take place through a manifestation of divinity below. For just as the refinement as a whole is accomplished throughout actions and efforts throughout the time of exile, so too the actual refinement will result from the revelation of godliness in this world, with a great illumination and immense effulgence. As it is written, for the earth should be filled with the knowledge of Hashem, and the glory of Hashem should be revealed. Now this is a regards of the future of the world in general. In the time to come, the good will be refined and elevated from the evil throughout the revelation of godliness that will then be manifest. So Mashiach will come, the world will be flooded with knowledge. The world will be filled with the knowledge, with the awareness. You know, we're living in the information age, in the awareness age. Everything is filled with, when everything is filled with knowledge and information and intelligence, and the knowledge is more than intelligence. Knowledge is, is you can sense it, you can feel it. It's not just abstract. It fills you. It fills you up. Your consciousness becomes filled 
with the awareness of Hashem, when you become aware of godliness, then there's no room for negativity. There's no room for evil. There's simply no room for it. Where there's light, there's no room for darkness. So then evil will completely vanish. Evil will completely disappear. Forever and ever. Because once man internalizes and integrates and connects with the knowledge and awareness of Hashem, then there's no room for, for any negative. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.